Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is so good to see you today. Thank you for inviting Grace into your home again today. I miss you so much. And I'm sure you miss the people here at Grace, too. And you're probably wondering, when can we get back at it? When can we come back to Grace? We can go to the beach. <laughs> we can go to the grocery store. What about church? And the answer is, I don't know. All these things are in God's hands, and I'm happy that we can worship God together like this for right now. If you're visiting us for the very first time today, I do want to welcome you again. And you do need to know that you are watching along with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people who consider Grace their church home. They love each other as a family, and so you've joined the family today. Thank you for joining us and being our guest today. We hope you feel comfortable today as a part of our family. Whether you're here today for the first time or you've been here many, many times, we'd encourage you to complete the connection card that is linked up in the right-hand corner of the screen. Don't do it now, but do it before you log off at the end of our worship service. We'd just like to know that you're here. We'd like to invite you at least to uh, consider joining one of our virtual small groups, just like-minded people being together. You probably miss the people. So do we. And so a virtual small group allows you to meet together on video. And so you can sign up for that on that connection card. Even on that connection card, you can communicate your prayer concerns to our pastoral staff. We pray for you every single day. And so we'd love to pray along with you this next week. And finally, before we begin, I'd like to invite you to, to grab your Bible. I know you might be uh, a little bit nervous to bring your Bible to church because someone next door might think that you don't know how to find 1 Timothy in the Bible, and so you don't, but this is your chance to get used to your Bible. I'd love for you to get used to and accustomed to your Bible, and the best way to do that is just by practice, and so why don't you practice today? Grab your Bible. If you have kids in the house, have them grab their Bibles too and have them find it. I know your kids might not be able to stick around for an entire 40 minutes, but they could at least find the, the passage today in 1 Timothy. You could show them where it is and they could read along with us that. It's important for our kids to know where our truth comes from. Well, I'm glad you're here today because today we are talking about the type of people who go to church. And so how would you fill in this blank? The type of people who go to church are. The type of people who go to church are. What would you put in there? Now, I know I'm talking to a bunch of people who are going to church, and so you might say something like, the type of people who go to church are smart, if I do say so myself. Or the type of people who go to church are godly people. Or the type of people who go to church are or thinking a little bit more introspectively, you might say the type of people who go to church are not perfect, but they're genuine in their, their love for Jesus. And so what would you put in this blank? I want you to tell the other people in the room what you would put here. The type of people who go to church are. Okay, so now let's ask a different set of people. What if we were going to ask our friends who weren't Christians to fill in the blank? What if you were going to ask your family members who laugh at you kind of behind your back because you're a Christian? How would they fill in this blank? How would your coworkers at work, if you're going to ask them to fill in the blank, the type of people who go to church are, how would they fill in that blank? Here are some things that non-Christians might say about the people who go to church. The type of people who go to church are weirdos. 
or the type of people who go to church are weak. They're, they're weak. They, they need a crutch to hold them up, and so religion is that for them. They might say the type of people who go to church are gullible, or the type of people who go to church are well-meaning. There are many non-Christians who respect Christians and the fact that they go to church, and so they might say, well, they're well-meaning. Uh, I had someone tell me that the type of people who go to church are simple-minded. <laughs> and so I guess if I'm doing the math, being a pastor of a church, then I am the, the, the chief simple-minded one. <laughs> they don't know how right they are. And so how would you answer this question? The type of people who go to church are. And then how would your non-Christian friends answer that question? The type of people who go to church are. Well, Barna Research asked that question of non-Christians, and 85% of non-Christians use the exact same word, singing as almost a choir. The type of people who go to church are hypocrites, a bunch of hypocrites. There are a bunch of hypocrites that go to church, and the, the mindset is that, that the, the the number one glaring thing that proves that God isn't real in the minds of people who aren't Christians, they contend that the number one thing that proves that God isn't real is the behavior of Christians themselves. Now, that's a pretty sad statement. What they're saying is, is that the way that Christians live, the way that they act, the words that Christians say in the minds of non-Christians prove that the things that these Christians believe isn't even true. And so lots of study has been done on this, lots of research and surveys have been conducted on this of the different lifestyles of Christians and, and non-Christians. And all the results are in, and all the conclusions have come. And the basic conclusion of all of these studies is that the lifestyle activities of Christians exactly mirrors the lifestyle of non-Christians. In all sorts of areas, in the area of gambling, Christians and non-Christians are exactly the same. In the number of pornographic websites that Christians and non-Christians visit, exactly the same. Taking something that didn't belong to them, also known as theft. <laughs> Christians and non-Christians are exactly the same. Saying things behind people's back, gossip, exactly the same between Christians and non-Christians. Abusing someone, whether verbally or physically, the exact same statistically between Christians and non-Christians. The use of illegal drugs, statistically equal between Christians and non-Christians. The drinking enough alcohol to get drunk, exactly statistically balanced between Christians and non-Christians. The only thing on the surveys that Christians did less often than non-Christians did, this is no joke, is recycling. That's the only difference at all. And so today we are talking about the type of people who go to church. And no wonder non-Christians would call people who go to church hypocrites. They're doing the exact same thing as people who are not Christians. And so Paul talks about this 
in 1 Timothy. And so would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Remember, Paul is the one who writes this letter to a man, a young man named Timothy, who was pastoring this church in in Ephesus. And there were all sorts of types of people in his church, just like there are in every church. And one of the types of people were the Judaizers. Do you remember the Judaizers? The, the ones who told the Gentile Christians when they came in that they had to do this long list of things. They had to get circumcised. They had to wash their hands in these ceremonial ways. They couldn't eat that food, and they had to eat that food. And most importantly, they had to keep the Ten Commandments. That was the list. And nobody can keep even all the Ten Commandments all of the time. And so that made them all effectively a bunch of hypocrites. And Paul ultimately says that all of this list and all of these things that these Judaizers were teaching is fruitless discussions in verse 6 of 1 Timothy 1. Just a waste of time. Fruitless. But at the end of where we are studying last week, in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, Paul says that the law is good. The, the law, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments is good because it served its purpose. What was the purpose? It was to simply show everybody that they weren't perfect. The purpose of the law was to show their imperfections, was to show that they were sinners and that they needed a Savior. You know, it's like, it's like a mirror or, or when you're going to in, your interview and you uh, turn on your camera w- real quick just to make sure that your hair is exactly the way it should be or, or you're getting out of your car for your date and you want to make sure you flip open your camera real quick and make sure that everything is the way that it should be because it's just showing you your imperfections. And that's exactly what the Ten Commandments is, simply to show the imperfections of people so that they would realize that they're a sinner, and they realize that they would need a saviors. But the Judaizers were using this law, the, the law of God, the, the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial laws, to try to convince these Gentiles that they needed to do this long list of things. Which then brings up the question, well, what type of people do go to church? What are the type of people that should be going to church? And so that's why we're going to read today 1 Timothy, verses 12 to 17 in chapter 1. And so let's read that together, 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into his service even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost sinner... Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the king eternal, to the king immortal, 
to the king invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go back to, to verse 12, where Paul says, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a, a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Paul is using himself as an example of what the Judaizers were doing. The Judaizers were so fervent, so passionate that they thought they were teaching the right things. You've got to obey the law. You've got to do the Ten Commandments. You've got to do this list of things. They were so sure that they were doing the right thing that they were advocating for God. And Paul knew exactly what they were talking about. Paul was a Jew. He had two Jewish parents. He had grown up in Judaism. He was pro all of the Jewish lists, all of the Jewish requirements, all of the ceremonial laws. He knew them all. And he had this special reputation, Paul did, because he had been trained by one of the greatest rabbis that the world had known at that time. His name was Gamaliel. And so he had this incredible reputation. It'd be like if some pastor had been trained by Billy Graham, you know. And so he had this incredible reputation for being a teacher of the law. And he knew exactly what the Judaizers were saying, that he was so Jewish to the core that he understood that these Jews are wanting to honor God by the list, by honoring God, by doing all of the right things. And once you do all the right things, then that's how you are saved. But Paul was living proof that that is not the way God saved people. God does not save people through the Mosaic law. God does not save people through doing a list of things. God has another way. And so that way is planned out in 1 Timothy verse 14, where Paul says, And the grace of our Lord was more abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's God's grace. That is God's method of saving. That's the, it's not the list. It's not, the, it's not the, the Ten Commandments. It's the grace of God poured out in Jesus Christ. This is how Paul, Paul wasn't saved by doing the list. Paul knew the list, and he kept it the best he could. He, he, was, he knew it well, but that's not what saved him. It was the grace. It was this gift that wasn't deserved poured out in Jesus Christ. And so as Paul made his way to go persecute more Christians, he, he called himself a violent aggressor. He was killing Christians because he was so fervent. He was so fervent. But on his way to, down the road to kill some more Christians, he met Jesus Christ. And that meeting, he ch changed him from the inside out. That he began to realize something that he had never realized before. Look at how he describes it in verse 15. He says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Paul says, even though I was doing the best I could at doing all the right things, I'm still a sinner. 
I, I was still a sinner, and he didn't realize it before until he met Jesus Christ. And notice that Paul says, I am the foremost of all. He didn't say Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I was the foremost of all. Even though he's, a, he's an apostle writing scripture, Paul still assumes he's a, a sinner. He is. He still sins. Even though he started churches, he's still a sinner. But he's a saved sinner. He's saved by that grace of God that came in through Jesus Christ. He wasn't saved by doing the long list. He wasn't saved by the ceremonial washing of his hands. He wasn't saved by the, the special dietary restrictions. He wasn't saved by all the, the Sabbath requirements that are all lined out in the Talmud. It, he wasn't saved by any of those things. He was saved by the grace of Jesus. And so it's important that we understand what the Old Testament law is and what the Old Testament law isn't. And so let me show you just three simple understandings of the Old Testament law, of, of the Ten Commandments. First, it's not a stairway to heaven. The Ten Commandments, or all of the, the law in the Old Testament, is not the way that Old Testament Jews got to heaven. And doing the list was not the way to heaven at all. It was, as a matter of fact, just the opposite of that. It exposes sin. It, it, it shows us, like getting your camera out on your phone and looking at yourself before you go on the date, and it shows you all your imperfections, and so you can fix them before you go. It exposes our sin. That's the purpose of the law, simply to show people that they could not live up to it all. And thirdly, the Old Testament law points to Jesus Christ. You can't get to heaven doing them. It exposes the fact that we fall short of heaven every time we try to do something good and so points our way to a Messiah, to Jesus, who, who provided a way even though we sin in all that we, we do. And so this is what non-Christians don't quite realize about people who go to church is that there are lots of people who go to church that have not experienced what Paul just described. The grace found in Jesus Christ. The, the, they might know some people who, yeah, they go to church, they might do good things, or they might not, but church attendance is not the standard to make someone a Christian. Someone's a Christian, not a Christian just because they go to church. Someone is not a Christian just because they keep the, the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, we know that nobody can keep the Ten Commandments. Even the Apostle Paul was a sinner. And so... What some non-Christians don't quite realize is, is that there are many people in a church who call themselves Christians, who go to church, and yet they are one of two things. And yet they have never experienced the grace of God in their life. They've they never found Jesus. They're going to church. They just never found Jesus. Or they are saved. They are a person that has been changed. They put their faith and trust in Jesus, and yet they've never changed. They just remain this little 
gooey, newborn Christian, and they're still doing all the things that they used to do. They, they, they've never grown up. They've never matured in their Christianity. And so they've just never, they've, they've never changed. They're still doing all the same things that they used to do. And so that's why some of the people who go to church are just what you see. They're hypocrites. They, they say they're Christians, and yet they aren't, or their life certainly doesn't reflect those things. Now, re- you'll remember from last week that, that Paul tells Timothy that there's a, a goal of, of good biblical teaching, that there's, a, there's a, a, a purpose for it. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, it says the goal of our instruction, here's the goal of good teaching, The goal of instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Isn't that what you'd be looking for in a Christian? Isn't that what you'd be looking for in a Christian? Love, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Isn't that what you're looking for? (laughs) That's what non-Christians are looking for too. But these are the things that are only the result of someone who has received God's grace and who is paying attention to good Bible teaching. And here's the results of someone who has received the grace of God through Jesus Christ and is paying attention to good Bible teaching. The first result is love from a pure heart. The word love here is is agape love, and that is a supernatural kind of love, a kind of love that God puts in the hearts of Christians. This isn't something that you're born with. It's not that kind of love. Uh, It's it's a love that is sacrificing for other people. It it doesn't pay attention to what, what the Christian wants. It's paying attention to the other person instead. Agape love. And so if I was to describe this, this is a this is a, 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 an other people kind of love. This isn't a romantic love where I feel romantically in love with a person. Or this isn't a reciprocal kind of love where, well, they do good things for me, and so I do good things for them. They love me, and so, so I love them. This is, this is love in a completely different kind of way. This is sacrificing what I want for the benefit of, the, of another person. And so if I was kind of wrap this up, it would be being at peace with other people. Agape love is about the other person. It's not about me. I'm being at peace with other people. One of the results of good Bible teaching that is listened to by someone who's received God's grace and salvation is it's going to change their relationships with other people. It's going to change them. It's going to change your relationship with your parents. Because of you, not because of them. And because you are, you are looking out for their interests. You're thinking of them as you're interacting. It's going to change your reaction to your teenagers when they go crazy on you. It's going to change the way that you react because you're looking out for their interests, not for your own. It's going to change the way that you treat your boss when you get back to work. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change the way that you interact with your family members, the ones that really bug you, <laughs> the ones that you, you're happy that you don't have to go see them right now because of the quarantine. It's going to change the way that you interact with them as you are saved by Jesus and then you listen to good Bible teaching. It's going to change the way that you interact with people. That is love from a pure heart, being at peace with other people. That's the first result. 
The second goal of good instruction is a good conscience. Now, if the last one, were, one was at being at peace with other people, this one is being at peace with yourself. There are not very many people that are at peace with themselves. And the reason is because is the, there's sin. They're, they're still, they, they, they have an indifference towards God. And so their heart is kind of callous to, 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 the, to the things of God. And they, they almost have forgotten what's right and what's wrong. I mean, they know what's right and wrong. They just don't care. And so you can convince other people that you're at peace with them. But you know yourself. And you can't convince yourself in your own conscience of being at peace with yourself. And so that's one of the great benefits of receiving God's grace through Jesus Christ and then listening to good Bible teaching is that you can have a good conscience, you can be at peace with yourself. And thirdly, then, a sincere faith. The third result of good instruction in the life of a person who's been changed by Jesus, who has received the grace of Jesus Christ, is a sincere faith, is being at peace with God. That'd probably be the simplest way for me to describe it. Being at peace with God. You know, there are lots of hypocrites that are running around saying that they're Christians, saying that they are at peace with God, and yet they go out with their friends and they do the exact same thing with their friends that they've always done. They do the same thing that their non-Christian friends do. They're not at peace with God. God has standards, and so they're not at peace with it. They don't have a sincere faith. The only thing that can bring a sincere faith is receiving the grace that comes in Jesus Christ and then doing the things that are taught in the Bible. Those are the things that bring a sincere faith in, in God. And so, and so Timothy says the, the three items, love, Good conscience and a sincere faith are all the things that come from good Bible teaching to a person who loves, loves him. And so I'm sure that you've noticed you don't meet a lot of Christians like that. You don't meet a lot of people like that. And that's what the world is noticing. The world is noticing that you don't meet a lot of people like, like that. And you know, that... that that's what's so wonderful about God's grace that is poured out in, in Jesus Christ. That, that it relieves us of the weight of the label of, of hypocrite. We don't, we don't claim to be perfect. We are still sinners. We will still continue to sin. Paul still continued to sin even though that he was a Christian. It's not that, it's not that we want to. It's not that we look forward to it. We, we, we don't want to do those things. We, we desperately wish that we could, could stop doing all of those things. But it is so gr I'm so grateful that God allows us to take that weight of hypocrite off where we have to be perfect. Uh, keeping the list, and if you keep the list, you're perfect, and if you're not, then you're going to hell. God's grace removes all that as a gift that is given to you. That's what grace is, a gift that you don't deserve. In Jesus Christ, where you're no longer called a hypocrite. Yeah, you might still sin. You confess your sin to God. He washes your feet clean, and he helps you live a life that is honoring to him. And so what kind of people go to Grace Community Church? 
What type of people go to Grace Community Church? Well, we have all kinds of people that go to Grace Community Church. All kinds. We have the, the kind of people who are good, strong Christians, those who receive God's grace, and those then who are living a life where other people can see it. You could probably identify some people like that in our church. You can probably name them. Yeah, I know they're a Christian. Their, their lives show it to me. Then we have some other kind of people who, they're Christians, they've, they've received God's grace, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and yet they are still doing the things that they always did. They, they haven't grown up anymore. They're, they can, they, they're still doing all the things that they did before they were a Christian. And you're the hypocrites. You're the ones that, that people can identify. You call yourself a Christian, you go to church, and yet you're living the life just like everybody else. And Jesus would say this to you. If you can kind of identify that in yourself, it's kind of hard to, to want to identify that in yourself. But this is what Jesus would say to you. If you know you're a Christian, you know you're going to heaven, and yet you're still living the same life, you're doing the same things, saying the same words, going to the same places, and drinking the same things as you always have, this is what Jesus would say to you in Matthew 5. He'd say, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what Jesus would say to you. Let the life that you live, the, 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 the life that people notice, let that life be so clearly Christian that those people want that too. And they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ too. That would be the way that they would glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so the good thing about being a hypocrite the good thing about being a hypocrite is you don't have to stay one. The good thing about being a hypocrite is that you can let your light shine. Before. You can change the way that you live. You can listen to good Bible teaching, and you can allow it to change who you are. There's a third group of people that attend Grace Community Church. It's those of you who are so sure that because of your past, because of the things that you've done, you are so sure there is no way that you would ever receive God's grace. Because of your past, because of the things that you've done, there is no way that God would ever give his grace to you. There's no way that God would ever give that gift to you. And so you attend. Uh, you come here because your kids like it or your spouse likes it or your, your, uh, your parents come here. And you're sure that because of your past and things that you've done, there is no way that you could ever receive the God. You just pretend. You just pretend while you're here that you're a Christian. You, you tell your friends that you went to church, but you still do the same things that you've always done. And, and I have something to tell you. Paul could identify with that. Paul had a past. He calls himself a violent aggressor. He was, he, he was sadistic. He, he would... He would hurt people just for the sake of hurting people because they were Christians. Paul had a past. You, you have a past. I get it. Maybe the things you did in high school. Maybe it was when you were parenting, and now you look back on the, on the way that you parented your kids, and you're very embarrassed by it. Maybe it's the way that you treat your spouse now when you're angry and the words that you say, the things that you do to them. Maybe it's the things that you do with your friends and the, the words that you say with the buddies when you're out or the things that you drink and the things that you smoke when you're all alone. And you would say, there is no way. 
There, there is no way that I could ever become a Christian. There's no way that I could ever receive God's gift of grace. There's no way that I could ever go to church because then I'd be a hypocrite like everybody else. Well, Paul can identify with that. Let me show you something else that Paul wrote. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, let me, I'll describe these words so that you know what is being said here. Fornicators, neither fornicators, fornicators is people who are having sex before they're married, okay? Neither fornicators nor idolaters, people who are idolaters are people who invent their own God. You know, my God would never do that. This is the way I think God would do it. That's an idolater, just creating a God in their own, in their own mind. Neither fornicators, people who have sex outside, uh, before marriage, or idolaters, people who make up their idea of God, nor adulterers, those are people who have sex outside of their, their marriage, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, those two probably are pretty self-explanatory and go together, nor thieves, nor covetous, covetous are people who want to go steal, <laughs> who... Uh, look for, want what other people have, nor drunkards, people who get drunk, nor revilers, partiers, nor swindlers, people who lie and cheat, will inherit the kingdom of God. You see that list? Idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals and thieves and covetous, people who get drunk, people who party, people who lie and cheat. Uh, all that saying is, if you sin, you don't go to heaven. That's what the Bible says. Even just one sin sets you apart from God. You are no longer righteous. You are no longer holy. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And so when Paul says that all these different people cannot enter the kingdom of God, no. And you're like, well, man, I, I don't do all those things. You do one? Have you, have you ever done one? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Have you ever lied to your parents just once? <laughs> Have you ever disobeyed your parents just, just once? Okay. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's an amazing statement. But then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, such were some of you. He points to the church and he says, some of you were just like that. What kind of people go to church? People who were just like that. And that is such an amazing statement. They were. They were that way. But they received God's grace. And they started to change their mind and live their life for Jesus. They were like that. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of of our God. Let me explain some of those words. It says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were these things, but now you've been washed. What does that washed even mean? Well, the Bible tells us that God sent his son Jesus to earth, the second person of the Trinity, that's Jesus. You have God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We have one God in three persons. They all exist at the same time. One God, though. I can't explain it any further than that. <laughs> and so Jesus comes to earth in the flesh, meaning as a human, 
on Christmas. He lives a perfect life, never sins one time, so that on Good Friday, when he's on the cross, he is not dying on the cross for his own sin. He, he wasn't pouring out his blood. He wasn't dying for his own sin. You know, the wages of sin is death. He wasn't dying because of his sin, but he was dying for somebody's sin. He was dying because I've sinned, and he was dying because you sinned. The reason that Jesus was on the cross is wrapped up in, uh, in the verse John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that God sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. God loves you. He, he knows exactly the things you've done in your past, and he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. And that's an important thing because the Bible does say that there's separation from God if we sin, eternity in hell. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants people to go to heaven. And that's why his son is here. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that's what this verse says, that when a person believes in Jesus, not only that Jesus is God, not only that Jesus lived a perfect life, not only that, that Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, was dying for, for, uh, for the sins of the world, not his own, but also believing that Jesus rose from the grave three, three days later. And the reason it's important to believe that is because it proves that Jesus is God. He did something that only God could do. You believe Jesus is God. You believe he rose from the grave. When a person changes their mind, puts their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior, the one that rescues them from their sin, that's what 1 Corinthians 6 says, that you are washed. Your sins are washed away. You were all of these things, but all of those things have been washed away, and now you're, you're being sanctified. Sanctified doesn't happen at once. Sanctified happens throughout your entire life. Sanctification. As soon as you sin... You realize you shouldn't do it. You confess that sin to God, and you try not to do that again. <laughs> That's sanctification. You sin, and the Holy Spirit pokes you. Ah, I shouldn't have done that. That's, I was wrong. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. You confess your sin to God. Jesus washes your feet clean, and you, you ask God to help you never to do that thing again. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. But this is sanctification. This is living your life honoring to God. And some people are washed, but they never, they never start being sanctified. They, they never are sensitive to sin in their life, and they just stay this little Christian baby of goo, still doing all the things that they did in the past, never being sanctified, living their lives for Jesus. But that is not what the calling of a Christian is. So what kind of people are, are going to church? All sorts of people are going to church. What are the type of people who are going to church? How would you fill in that blank? Here's how I would fill in that blank. I, I, I could put names to each of the kinds of people that, that go to church. For me, the type of people who go to church are Brian. Brian was in my high school group. Uh, high school youth group, and he was also on my baseball team, and he, he drove a Volkswagen Bug, and sometimes I'd ride with him, the Volkswagen Bug, to, to baseball practice. And Brian did everything that was good. He was like the, the 
perfect Christian. He went to church all the time. He went to a Christian school. Uh, if, there was, if there was anybody that you were sure was going to heaven, it was Brian. You know, he, he was the, the one that even the Christians in the youth group would call him the Christian nerd. You know, it was like that guy. And Brian, once he graduated from high school, he completely abandoned everything that he had ever done, ever thought, ever said. And it turns out that Brian was just going to church, just going to that Christian school, just doing all the right things, just because his parents told him to, just because it was on the list to do. And Brian was a Judaizer. <laughs> Brian, Brian was just, let me just do the right things. But those things did not save Brian. I think we're going to be really surprised in heaven at the people who actually make it to heaven. The type of people who go to church are like Brian. Do all the right things, but they've never received the grace of God through Jesus Christ. The type of people who go to church are like David. David's different. David rode a moped to school. And uh, David was saved in junior high, and I know that because I was there. I was at camp. I was sitting right next to David when he got saved in the seventh grade. And David, though, all the way through high school, he his life didn't change one bit. He he watched all the same movies. When I'd go over to his house, I, I would have to say, hey, let's not watch movies <laughs> because it was that bad. Um, his life did not change at all through high school. David, David, David was even called a hypocrite by the other people in our church youth group. <laughs> it was that bad. He, he said he was, but there was nothing about his life at all. You know, the, the, the great thing about being a hypocrite is that you don't have to stay that way. You know, God finally did get a, get a hold of David, and God has begun to sanctify David. David today is a missionary, making great sacrifices for Jesus around the world. Y you can change if you're a hypocrite. I hope you hear that today. Just because you've been saved and you realize that you haven't been growing, you haven't been changing your life, you haven't been allowing the Holy Spirit to, to poke you and make you feel guilty, and so that then you... You confess your sin, and you haven't been confessing your sin lately, and you find yourself saying the things you used to. Hey, I get it. God can change you. Listen to good Bible teaching, and God can change you. And so the type of people who go to church are like Brian, and people who go to church are, are like my, my friend David, and the people who go to church are like my friend Chris. Uh, names have been changed to protect the innocent <laughs> in all of these. But Chris, he, he came to church just because his parents made him. He made no bones about it. He'd never claimed Christianity. He, he didn't want anything to do with it at all just because his family brought him. And there's some people who come to church that are just like that. These are the types of people who go to church. And if you're a Christian who's living their life in a way that other people notice, great. Continue to, to be sanctified. May God bless you. If you are a, a Christian, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and yet you notice that you're still doing the things that all the other people who aren't Christians are doing too. If you're on that statistical list of, of what non-Christians notice as a hypocrite, it's never too late. 
You can, you can change your mind. You be, can begin to live your life for Jesus. And here's the first step. As soon as you notice you doing something wrong, you stop and you confess that sin to God. You don't need to go to a person to confess it. You talk to God. You say, God, that was wrong. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Please help me to never do that again. That hurts me. That hurts you. That hurts my family. Help me to never do it again. That's your first step. And then when you do something else wrong, do that same thing again. And then later that day when you, a word slips out that you shouldn't say, you confess, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. That, that gives you a bad name. It makes me look bad. It's, that's sin. I shouldn't ever do that again. Help me not to do that. That is sanctification. And God will sanctify you. That is a promise to you. And if you are like Chris and you just come to church because your friends and family do because your parents make you and you're sure that nobody could be saved like you because of your past and things that you've done. Hey, today's good news. Paul was saved. If Paul was saved, you can be saved. If Paul received the gift of grace, you can receive the gift of grace too. And all you need to do is change your mind about who Jesus is. You can do that with your eyes wide open. You can do that listening to the podcast now. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he lived a perfect life? Do you believe that he, when he was dying on the cross, that he wasn't dying for his own sin, but he was dying for the sins of the world? Do you believe that when Jesus rose from the grave, he was proving that he was God? You talk to God about that, the quietness of your own heart. And you can experience God's grace of being washed and being sanctified too. Hey, thanks for joining us today, Grace. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for what your word teaches us, and we thank you that you bring all sorts of people to a church, and we pray that your word would be the thing that changes all of us. God, I pray that our church would be a loving place where we can be sanctified by you, and we wouldn't criticize other people because of their pace of sanctification, but encourage each other to live our lives honoring to you. God, I thank you that we can do these things even while we are in quarantine. We can even honor you in our lives today. God, we lift up those people who are uh, sick. We pray that you would offer them your peace and your comfort. We pray for those who are sacrificially serving in the hospitals as doctors and nurses. We pray that you would bless them, that you would protect their families from getting sick too. We pray for the scientists worldwide that you would give them supernatural wisdom in knowing how to address all of these things. God, we pray for our mayor. We pray for our governor. We pray for our president. That you would give them wisdom in how to uh, make decisions. We pray that you would impress upon them your, your will and your desires. So God, we lift all of these things up to you. We celebrate that we get to study your Bible again today. We pray these things in Jesus' name.